podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Play It Forward, the show where your pod syndicate hosts get together to discuss movies that we are not only recommending, but gifting one another on iTunes. In each episode, we give the gift of entertainment to one of our co-hosts and outline why we picked that specific movie for them before handing over to them to find out what they thought of it. The show is part of the Pod Syndicate Network, the home of Beyond the Neon, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, Film Bastards, His Film, Her Movie, and What's on Tap. So, if you like movies, TV, beer, and pop culture, you'll find loads of great shows, as well as articles, and a lot more over there at wearepodsyndicate.com, or you can follow us on Twitter by following at podsyndicate, and you'll get updates from all those shows and much more besides. For this show, as always, I am joined by Mark Foster and Ian Loring of Film Bastards. Say hello, gents. Hello, gents. Hi! Uh, but I'm delighted to say that we now roll that little bit deeper with a fourth host. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to welcome his film, her movies, Jordan McGrath, to the podcast. Say hello, Jordan. Hello, and if you could call me by my official name from now on, which is Jordan Danny Ocean McGrath. Why? Um, yes, I, I, I today picked a lock. What? I, I have the skill to actually pick a lock with a pair of with a pair of scissors and a paperclip. I am hardcore. What was the purpose but of yeah, this lock picking? Basically, I had a desk at uh, my home, with, um, which where I used to live. So I was bringing it through because Lauren's working from home at the moment. So she needed a desk, so I've taken that out of the garage um, in, in the property which I used to live in, but I rent out now. And the the desk drawers were locked, and we didn't have a key. So I thought, do you know what? Let's give it a go. Got a pair of scissors and a paper clip and pick that lock. And inside so, there was a porn stash from nineteen ninety seven. Quickly quickly shoved it back close. Oh, oh, and I bet there was that Cat Dealey FHM cover yeah. which I Yes. I fucking came over that magazine so many times in my fucking youth. <laughs> The tragic thing is there, when you said that, we all knew what you were talking about. Oh, mate. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, in this episode, then, um, just to say, first and foremost as well, obviously we're recording this in the middle of nonsense um, that's going on across the world, and I think... Uh, for the duration of this podcast, you know, it'll be good for us all to escape that nonsense. So I think we're probably not going to be talking about it too very much. Uh, very much, and we'll just crack on with business as usual. Um, can I? Can I, I? I will just say, I'm. This is your I'm one so, chance now. <laughs> I'm very, very, very annoyed that Universal have not pushed the home release of Cats forward. Cats on 4K on iTunes does not come out until May, and so I encourage everyone to follow my new. Twitter account at is cats on 4k yet where I will be giving daily <laughs> updates as to whether cats is available on 4k that's at is cats on 4k yet I will be tweeting daily I I, I did follow you earlier 
Thank you for that. Let's move uh, Cats being released on 4K up Universal Pictures' list of priorities. Um, I'm sure it's very high on their to-do list anyway. Because it's Do it, you cowards! <laughs> but, cowards! Uh, let's all follow that <laughs> and, get, and, and make it happen, even if it's just for Ian. <laughs> Coronavirus with the break that Cats needs to make money back. The silver lining. Um, So in this particular episode, then, Jordan has gifted Mark. Mark has gifted Ian, is that right? Um, Ian has gifted me, and I have gifted Jordan. Um, So I think without further ado, we'll kick things off, and we will start with our new co-host, Jordan. Jordan, do you want to tell us what you picked for Mark and why you chose it for him? Absolutely. So I chose um, Vin Vendors' 1979 film, um, The American Friend, um, starring Dustin Hoffman, not Dustin Hoffman, um, Dennis Hopper, um, Bruno Gantz. And I mean, the reason why I picked this film in particular is because I mean, I know Mark loves his sort of 70s icons, and I'm pretty sure he's a big Dennis Hopper fan. And this kind of is a quintessential performance even though he is not that great not not much in the film but his presence throughout it is quite quite palpable and this is a tom ripley film so you think about things like your your talented mr ripley it's all within that sort of um extended universe but i love 70s slash 80s um like the, the the German New Wave that came through that time, I, there's there's something about the the city, the, the 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 skyline, the architecture, and especially American Friend feels like a very prestige Euro crime film, but it's very loose on plot, but very heavy on atmosphere and um, sort of threat. So I I really thought that Mark would have liked that part of it, the just the the way you're drowned in this beautiful scenery and this constant feeling of, of unease that goes throughout the film. Excellent. Sounds like it ticks a few Mark boxes then. So, uh, Mark, do you want to talk to talk to us about what, what you loved or, or loathed about the film? Yeah, well, then, first of all, once um, Jordan suggested it, I, I was very much like, the American friend, and I thought, you know, some twigs, and you go, I, I, right, why have I heard that before? And then... Quick sort of looks at it. Actually, no, I haven't seen that. Read very quickly about it and was like, "All right, why haven't I seen that? That doesn't make sense." Um, so very quickly was like, "Yeah, that's definitely was." I've been looking forward to to, to watching it since Jordan um, gifted me it so graciously. Um, and then like I said, I am I'm a, a big Dennis Hopper fan. Um, from running right the way through, he's he's got an eerie presence about him. That always is there. He always seems like he's got this. Um, no matter what performance he's doing, like he's got this switch that can go off, uh, and that's what's kind of wonderful about Dennis Hopper. Is there's, there's an air of danger to him at all times, but in this, there's a he, he's playing less the hothead uh, in this, which is quite good. But then within literally the first, I, I think a lot of the times you can. When you're watching a movie, you can get an idea of whether or not, all right, this is on my, this is definitely 
on my wavelength and where I like where this is going within sort of like the first five, ten minutes. And straight away within like a minute, I was like, all right, yeah, I'm 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 good with this. Uh, and was sort of sitting back and going, I'm I'm gonna get along with this. It's it's nice seeing Bruno Gantz in things. I think he, he came to a lot of people's attention mostly through, um, obviously, when he played uh, Adolf Hitler in shit, the movie's gone from my brain now what it's called. Oh, uh, Downfall. Oh, Downfall, of course. Downfall. Downfall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then the more and more you watch in, in, in The American Friend, uh, the more and more you watch him going, I, I, I wish that literally he'd have been, I, I wish he was in more seminal uh i know he's in a lot of the big german um sort of new movies from that but you're kind of going you can now see why he should have been in their comparisons with people like um like your de niro's your pacino's and your dustin hoffman's and people like that uh, that were big stars of the you know the new wave um american cinema because he hasn't a a great amount of charisma within this uh like john says it's 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 light on plot, but it's really heavy on atmosphere. And I think that I've always thought that if you try and put too much of convoluted, convoluted plot into something, you can end up, it's putting too many ingredients in there. If you have a really simple plot, but it's told really, really well, uh, and it looks great, and the acting is fantastic, and it's, it, it's, it's done in an interesting way that doesn't even necessarily need to be a flashy way, just a way that keeps your attention that can be often better than filling it with too much that's out there. And uh, that's what I really, really dug about the American friend. And plus like, again, like John was saying there, um, you've got that. There's an eeriness of, uh, of that, uh, of Germany within that era, because you've still got the, you know, the walls still up and there's still that, that divide that's there. And you've also got the fact that it's, it's seventies, uh, sort of, Eastern Europe and you take it on that account so it, it was an odd time and an odd place that definitely had its own kind of feel about itself and setting in Hamburg is, is, is really quite cool with, with that because you get the backdrops um, that you have within that of the you know even even Hopper puts on you know with the I love this river and then you just get a shot of this unbelievably wide uh, river shot there and then you've got the the hopper just being very Dennis Hoppery uh, within it, which it seems like a cop out for not explaining, but it's Dennis Hopper. We all know what Hoppery means. Uh, yeah, I, I really, really liked it. It's it's got a great a great atmosphere and a just a, a real sort of oddity to it in terms of watching going. There's not a lot happening, but I, I, I dig the interactions within it. Um, I also think it's amazing the fact that between this one podcast, we managed to find the two films that exist where someone's principal job is being a framer. So that that, that, that was... That, that's that was, amazing, that was, Mark. That's a great point. <laughs> Sorry. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I, I was... I, it's Yeah, that's a real... I, I do think that, that that is the only the quality thing you could get from a Pod Syndicate podcast that we could <laughs> accidentally fucking find our own subgenre. <laughs> um, but what I'll say about Dennis Hopper, what I love about this performance is, is Tom Ripley is... When he's in his scenes with Bruno Gantz, he has he has obviously dialogue when he's talking, but you have this feeling that what he's saying and what's in his head and what he's thinking is completely different, and it just always has like he's always trying to be that 
one step ahead or be do something sinister. But even though he's not that much of a hugely sinister character through it, he always has that feeling about him. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. There's, there's always that that air of you, you don't quite you, you don't know which one is the real kind of one. Is he is he just playing him to fuck him over, or uh, which or is he? Is he intrigued by him? Is he trying to win him over rather than fuck him over? It's that that great kind of playfulness that's there within him, and, and the fact that I think you get that playfulness straight away with the where it, in the opening where he goes to visit the guy who's doing the forgery for him, and the guy says, "You don't wear that hat in Hamburg, do you?" And he just takes it off and just goes, "Well, yeah, what's wrong with that?" At that moment, I was like. Ah, oh, fuck, I'm going to like this. I'm going to really like this. Excellent. Good stuff. Um, anything else to add there on that, Mark? Or, or Jordan, even? No, I mean, if you, if, you, if you haven't seen it, I mean, it's definitely... If you like your... I mean, it's not it's not really art house, but it's, again, it's, it's not massively plot-laden, but it's a really interesting story of... Um, it's a really interesting thriller because there are sequences in it um, especially um, on the trams of of Paris, where it's intense as hell, and there's no dialogue. It's just one man trying to follow another man, and it's yeah, it's just shot within an inch of its life. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good looking movie as well. Also, as well, um, I'll just try. I'm just trying to bring it up so I can read what it says. There was an interesting thing that happens at the start of it. Um, on the um, the iTunes version, that I, I looked at and thought, I, I, I kind of wish that every film had this before it, uh, just because I, I think it would make Ian's life like fourteen percent better. Yes. So I'll yes. get to it and read out what it says at the start of the iTunes thing, um, at the start of a copy. It's just getting to it now. I'll pause and read what it says. So it actually stops, and there's a title before the title card that says. The American Friend was filmed in the fall and winter of 1976-77 and had its world premiere at Cannes Film Festival in May 1977. The digital restoration of the film was done in 2014. For this purpose, the original 35mm negative was scanned, retouched and colour corrected in resolution of 4K. The original cut of the film was not a day, was not altered in any way, and the sound was originally mixed in mono and was remixed in Dolby stereo from the original tapes. All work was carried out at ARRI Film and TV Services Berlin. And That's then nice detail. Uh, Luscious. Going, can I imagine how erect Ian would be right now if that came up on every <laughs> and every phone? <laughs> But it, it needs to do all that, but with the like the titles divided into four separate title cards and the words really big. Actually, <laughs> the, the thing is, as well, the, the, the opening title comes up and says, The American Friend, Freund, in, in big red letters. Yes, it does. Well, and I was like, that's lovely. <laughs> so presumably, I didn't get round to watching this, presumably this is, why does it do that? Why is the title in German? Because it's German. Is it German language? It, it, it's German <laughs> English language. Yeah. Why is the but title it, it, in it, German? It, it, because it's German. Might be one of no, the best. Dennis, what, is Dennis I've Hopper? Ever. Is, is Dennis Hopper? No, no, German? no, no. Like, what's the? It, it, it's basically well, Bruno Gantz is German. Well, he's actually uh, Austrian. No, is, is he Dutch? Be playing, be playing a German. Um, but when he's with his family, he's speaking German, Swiss. He's, so it's um, dual. It's German, dual language when, when, then. It's set because it's set in New York, yes. isn't it? Is it? 
No, it's set, it's set in Hamburg, oh, in pa- Paris. Oh, okay. Just looking at the trailer, it looked kind of New Yorky. Okay. But there, 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 there is there is a shot about maybe four or five minutes into the film where he has Dennis Hopper on a red bed under red light, and it's absolutely lovely. Yeah, it is very nice. Yeah, it, it, it's um, whenever Hopper speaks very little German in it, but Bruno Gantz speaks a lot of English, I will say. Yeah. Nice. Ian, you said you've seen this, didn't you? I've not. I didn't get to this one, so... Have you... Um, yeah, um, a fair while back during my, um, my, uh, kind of, like, um, film student days. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I know it sounds kind of redu- uh, reductionist, but I kind of just agree with everything that the guys said there. Really, it, it, it's just a really fucking interesting piece of work. It's, um like very idiosyncratic and um yeah it's it's hopper like weirdly chill um which is which is nice but it's german cinema at that time anyhow as well because like what is you've got the german new wave going on so you've got like Werner herzog and you've got um fassbinder and you've got margaret margaret von trotter and all like all the films are, even though they may not have, like, and may, the, the main subject may not be, but they've always got these like sort of political undertones to them, um, and obviously Germany being split as it was at that time, uh, it, it's just it adds another level to um, your normal thriller. Yeah, it's not a director I'm all that familiar with, apart from Paris, Texas. I just don't think I'm just flipping through, and I don't think there's much. Wings of Desire, maybe. Wings of Desire, I think I might have seen when, uh, again, at university. That might, I feel like that came up there. P- Peter Folk, Folk is in it, and he plays game. himself, but, like, not himself. It's, um... He made, he made one of the few essential films to watch in 3D, this documentary, Pina, about uh, a dancer, um, which is fucking incredible in 3D. Um... Yeah, I he's he's one of those filmmakers that it just like it never quite feels like he quite pushed through into being one of those all-time great respected foreign directors. He his career really tapers off. Um even when you get through to the 90s like it really was 70s 80s for Vin Vendors and he, he doesn't really make that many films he makes mostly documentaries nowadays but yeah he like his American output wasn't brilliant apart from Paris Texas obviously hmm. um, I said he has been pretty fucking prolific I mean there's been yeah, at yeah. least one well, at least one film every year since since 1960 oh no there's a short since late uh, 69, 71, it's pretty much every year since then. But what I love about this as well is, like, when this was made, it was the the most expensive German film ever. And it's just, like, the fact that you spend the most on, on something so, as, as Ian said, idiosyncratic, can be your biggest um, film. I just wish we could get a bit more of that. Well... Um, with uh, with movie offering three months for a pound, maybe we will get a little Ooh. bit more of that. Uh, By the way, um, I I showed you guys that offer earlier on. 
Um, I then had yeah. an email from the watershed in Bristol with a link to movie three months for nothing. And um, I believe people on the home mailing list and quite a few other indies across the UK are getting that as well. But uh, still, three three months for a quid, it ain't bad either. You know what I mean? No, I've, already, like, I've already done it anyway. The question is, like, because there is a movie app as well for, the L, uh, for LGTVs, which is handy, which just makes mm. it that little bit more likely that I'll go, ah, oh, yeah, fuck it, I'll pop something on. So, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna push myself because I'm I'm a lazy watcher these days. Like I I just I don't make the effort with stuff, and something like Mubi should push me to watch something a little bit more. Um, yeah, with a little bit more meat on its bones. So yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's not like we're sponsored by Mubi or anything, but I I um I I do like the you've got thirty days to watch this and then it's gone, and they've also had a bit of a hand in theatrical distribution and kind of like partnering with um, Curzon on things. So like uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is this really, really well-regarded art house film, which is on Curzon Home Cinema and had been playing Curzon Cinemas, comes onto movie, I want to say, this week. Um, and it was literally, I almost rented it on Curzon Home Cinema for like nine ninety nine a couple weeks back. Um, uh, it, it, it's they they seem to be becoming a bit more of a force distribution wise, which helps them get stuff quicker. Um, so I mean, like they've always had like an interesting kind of retrospective kind of gallery, but it it feels like they've they've got quite a bit more current content now. Um, and and yeah, I mean, three months for a quid, man, you can't fucking sniff at that. No, well, that's decent. I, I'm sponsored by Mubi, by the way. This podcast well, is I mean, what I am. Look, if if they want to, if they want to sponsor us, then they're more than welcome to do so. Um, Podsyndicate at gmail dot com. Um, okay. Brilliant. So, Mark, I'm assuming then. Uh, well, I won't assume. Is it uh, pay it forward or send it back? Uh, it's a pay it forward without question. Yeah. Fabulous. Okay. There we go, that's what happens. Jordan McGrath coming along and classing up the joint. Um, so we will go from there. So that's um, Jordan gifting to Mark, and Mark has gifted to Ian. So, Mark, do you want to tell us a little bit about your choice for Ian? He's he's continued to class up the joint. <laughs> As always. Um, so Ian mentioned that he hadn't seen Hollow Man. <laughs> And I thought, why hasn't Ian seen a Hollow Man? It seems like a, a, a film that Ian would really, I don't want to say enjoy, but would really kind of like find quite interesting. Um, for a start off, there's a big ape in it, um, mm. which is always a box ticker for Ian. Mm. Uh, and secondly, I just thought Ian's going to very much be like, I, I, literally Ian said, I think Ian messages and said, Hollow Man makes some interesting choices, doesn't it? And that is kind of the exact reason why I thought he will like this because it, it, it will get something out of this because it goes in some fucking weird places, does Hollow Man. And it's the kind of movie that you look at it and go, this literally couldn't exist now. No. <laughs> um, I, I'm only mildly gutted that he didn't get to watch the DVD version of it because the DVD menu <laughs> screen is incredible. Does Hollow Man come in any other format apart from DVD? Because it sort of feels like it shouldn't. 
I think it comes it comes in DVD <laughs> and um, ITV two at eleven fifteen. I think they are the two formats it comes in. It's like Twister. You should only really be able to get hold of a copy of Twister <laughs> on DVD. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even, even if you buy it on iTunes and you press play for some reason, a DVD. They just say, they just say, no, they just say, your order has been accepted. Your DVD is in the post that comes up on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that is it. I, what I will do, Ian, though, so you don't miss out on the Hollow Man. What is it? I will find my Hollow Man DVD and I will record <laughs> the what is it and send you it. Fucking hell! All right, but I just, I. I I, I just think that Ian will have got something out of Hollow Man. I'm not saying necessarily he will have enjoyed it, but I, I do think he will have. But I do think he'll have got something out of it for sure. Do you know what? I'm, I'm just before I hand over. I'm quite interested in this one because I've got my opinions about this film. I think I know where this will go, just knowing how <laughs> Ian is about certain <laughs> things. So yeah, Ian, tell us what you thought of Hollow Man. So um, Hollow Man uh, joins the limited series of Donna walks in, looks at screen and asks, what the fuck are you watching? Uh, Which bit? Um, the, um, oh, fuck me. Um, uh, actually, to be fair, it wasn't any of the sexual violence. It was um, one of the random scenes of the, uh, the, the woman having a pee and wondering if Hollow Man was around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. it's just like it, you know, out of context. You walk in. What are you watching? This woman really tentatively, like pulling down her her clothes to go for a piss. Um. And, uh, yeah. But then the thing is, she then kind of like watched a bit of it with me, and was kind of intrigued. But at the same time, it. It brought back memories of when I watched Reanimator and she walked in and she was like watching the bit where the head is doing certain things. Um, and I was kind of like, kind of giggling. And then we had a, an argument. She was like, You find this funny? What the fuck's wrong with you? And, you know, it, it, it almost had elements of that. I. It, it, it's a fascinating film. It couldn't be made now, but it, it's in that fucking bizarre zone of made for like adults, blockbuster, like blockbuster level effect films that won't just don't happen now. It, it it's a film that wouldn't happen now because of the set. Like I I, I think because of the sexual violence on show in in a mainstream setting um but also it, it just in, in in terms of of you know it's high budget kevin bacon starring even though elizabeth shoe gets top billing what the fuck um i yeah i mean i like I, like I said in the WhatsApp, I think it makes choices. It's it starts off, I, I you know, it's got some interesting stuff to it. The whole idea of not being able to see yourself and what that would do to you psychologically. The idea of eyelids being invisible, which they mention a couple of times. It's like the screenwriter mm. thought of that, and he was really impressed with himself. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but it's it, it's a good idea, you know, the fact that basically you can't sleep 
unless you can somehow learn to sleep with your eyes open. Um, this is the po- this is the point where I have to point out that probably actually, if your eyelids are invisible, then your eyeballs are invisible, and therefore light can't refract into your eye, and you wouldn't be able to see. Does that make sense? Is that scientifically yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah no, I'm, Never mind. I mean, I'm I mean, just I mean, there to spoil things. It's okay. No, I mean, to, to be fair, in terms of scientifically correct, this is also a film that literally has a guy like set on fire fucking screaming just set on like on fire for like a full minute and then still able to kind of run around and do all the stuff that he does um but it, it you know it the, the the visual effects i think are still pretty fucking impressive yeah. um I, I, when you consider the time wow but even now yeah. like it's you know the imagery it creates is interesting like the the various forms that he takes at the end and the kind of like the musculature version of him like right at the end it, it, you know it, it's great visuals the um the bit where kim dickens has chucked the blood all over the place and he's got all the blood all over him and it's just this like fucking like half blood half invisible fucking monster man um, it, it you know it, it's great stuff. I mean, it, it lost the visual effects Oscar to Gladiator that year, and it's a bit like what's more impressive now, Gladiator or Hollow Man, in terms of what the specific thing it was trying to achieve. C- kind of Hollow Man. <laughs> yeah, I think the way, I it think the difference it absolutely is. I think the difference is. I'd agree with that. Like, I think. One of the things going into this I was very curious about, because I, I saw this when it first came out on home video, and I hadn't seen it since. I hadn't even seen a bit of it since. And I remember the first time I saw, I think it was the um, the gorilla scene at the beginning. It was, mm-hmm. on like a, it was on, do you remember there used to be like, it was uh, late night um, on ITV. There used to be a sort of like... Movies, uh, movies, movies. Office. It might be, I can't remember, there was like an American box office top 10 show and it was like, you'd very often see things that were coming out in a month's time and stuff like that. Um, and it might have been movies, movies, movies. It could well have been. Might have been Casey Kasem doing the voiceover, I'm not sure. Um, nice. But they showed that scene on that then and I remember it being mind-blowing at the time. Um, yeah. But like, so I was very curious to see how that had held up and I was really surprised at how how well all of that stuff had had held up. The fact that it lost out to Gladiator, though, I will say, makes sense. Because if you yeah. remember that time... Ta- no, 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 but at that time, Gladiator had the bigger story. There was mm-hmm. a lot of material going around about how they recreated the Colosseums and they only had this set, but then they digitally recreated this and they digit. So it felt like that story was just out there a little bit more. Yeah. So... I, I don't know that the story of the effects behind Hollow Man got as much airtime as the Gladiator one did. I, I, I mean, they needed to do like an electronic press kit talking about how they modelled Kevin Bacon's actual dick and the various states yeah. of of uh, uh, of of uh, prominence that his penis takes in the film. Um, this is Kevin Bacon around about who once sued himself for revealing his own penis. <laughs> Nice. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, his production company uh, produced Wild Things, uh, and there's a shot of his dick in it. 
and he insisted that that be taken out, be edited out. And then when it went to the premiere, it was still in there. So I sued the production company, which at the time was his production company. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with the Kevin Bacon thing, though, as well, is as as uh, as potentially dodgy as, as some of this film is, particularly you know with with 2020 eyes um who else like who else like it's just somehow this you know not that kevin bacon has any kind of like nasty sort of history that we know of there's just something perfect about kevin bacon being a bit of a sex pest what you can sort of but you can sort of buy it but you're not it doesn't mean you think kevin bacon's a sex pest you just think he's a shifty looking fucker and I wouldn't be surprised. So I I, I was listening to um, a podcast. I <coughs> pardon me. I I very much recommend uh, Blank Check, and uh, yeah. um, they would. I listened to the Hollow Man episode earlier today, and they were saying, "Do you know who they originally approached for this?" Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert Downey Jr. Oh, did they? Now Robert Downey Jr. circa two thousand. You know, he's doing copycat. He's doing in dreams. This kind of feels like the kind of thing he could have done. But the thing is with Kevin Bacon is that, you know, he does... He does the... Like, the... You could see why women would be attracted to him, you know, disregarding the the sexual violence. I, I, I will say... It's fucking bizarre how early on he's fucking squeezing Kim Dickens's boob, and then mm. ten minutes later yeah. he's straight up fucking raping Rona Mitra. Like it's that the the jump from you know ex boyfriend of Elizabeth Shue who is up himself to straight up like rapist. Mm. Um, you know it 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 feels like. It feels like a film that is less smart than I think Paul Ver- Verhoeven is, um, and it, it it does feel like Paul Verhoeven just going, "Fuck it, whatever." I'm kind of interested in this concept, but is he going to be a sex pest and it's going to turn into a slasher film at the end? Fine, I suppose. It, it, it's it doesn't necessarily feel like his heart was in it, but. I, I I think that Bacon's performance is interesting. He makes the character more believable that like in terms of how others react to him than I think the the writing does because he's Kevin Bacon. At least, did you like, feel? I, yeah. Sorry, go on. Go on. I was just going to say, did you like on this? It's not something I'd noticed before, but did you feel that the? Um, because obviously this was a big budget, a bigger budget film. A lot of money was spent on effects at the time. This time around, I was very aware of how much of it was shot in the same place. Like it felt very uh, almost claustrophobic this time around. It felt like a lot was happening in that same laboratory, which is something that I'd not noticed before. Was that noticeable to anyone else? Or well, well, yeah, I mean, like you've got what like there's. Like Elizabeth Shue's apartment, his apartment. Like there's one sequence outside the Pentagon, um, uh, William Devane's house, and the lab. 
that that's kind of that that is yeah. it. Oh, and the amazing sequences of Kevin Bacon fucking rocking out to whatever the fuck <laughs> is on that fucking soundtrack, and then yeah. the incredible bit where he scares the shit out of those kids. And it's not just yeah. just that bit. It's not just the eyes. It's the way that he then just opens his mouth at them. Just to fucking finish it off, it it's you know I like I if if there was more of him being a dick in that way and not being a dick in being a fucking rapist, then you know I I I, I think I would have enjoyed it more. I mean, you alluded to it earlier on, though. The thing that does put me off about this film is just the the the, the violence against women stuff and just how aggressive that is. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very strange just how because again that's another thing going into this I was a bit like I, I seem to remember it a certain way but it, it can't have been that bad but it kind of is like <laughs> just and I don't think it's I don't think it's just because we've you know we're more sensitive to this stuff now but it it's pretty fucking bad <laughs> like it's pretty uh, and it's the it's like you say it's the speed that he gets there he's not just an asshole he's He's an asshole, and then he very, very quickly becomes, you know, as you said, a, just a full-on rapist with, with very little. Well, it, like, there's no, there doesn't seem to be much. You know, he's invisible. He's in his apartment. He sees that girl that he's seen once before, and he's just like, "Yeah, fuck it." And it's just there doesn't seem to be very much thought. He just goes for it. Yeah, he, he, he literally, he literally goes from being, you know, oh, I, 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 I could go and watch her get naked to. Yeah, I'm just a rapper. Mm. But that's it. In literally, the um, Emily Dickens when he sort of undresses her and feels up her her boob, uh, it's literally the first thing that he does after yeah. becoming invisible. Yeah. And it's just like, where does that come from? Yeah. But think, the thing about the Hollow Man is like, I, I do I do enjoy the movie. I enjoy it in a Paul Verhoeven style. It's just this big, brash, bold kind of controversial film that is is a B movie but costs ninety five million dollars to make mm. and yeah it it's such a weird like, weird movie. But like, it, it, yeah it should not exist. It, it it's just the fact that his other you, you look at Starship Troopers, you look at um Robocop, like his his kind of a, his big you look at Total Recall, his big Hollywood films and they mm. they, they have something to say um yes. whereas with this it is it is what it is and you know I, 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 there, there is interesting stuff kind of early doors and i like you know the idea that elizabeth shoe is actually you know she is still obviously attracted to him early on um you know the whole kind of like the competition with with josh brolin um it it, 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 it's setting up some more interesting stuff than later comes, but there is also some really interesting visuals later on as well, which do do pique my interest. You know, it's um, yeah, I it, it, I I I don't know. It, it like I say, the it feels like the screenplay is just not at the same level as 
everything else in the film and and and, and oh. i mean to be fair yes it, it is set in that laboratory for it's got to be over half the running time that it's in that fucking yeah. set excellent so to to summarize then uh, play it forward or send it back yeah, I mean, I I I, I think it's a play uh, a play it forward. I mean, obviously, I have my reservations, but it's um, I it, it, it's it's yeah. another film where it's like a play it forward, but to the right people. Like if if any film is that, you're not going to recommend this to your wife, are you? <laughs> you know. No, I mean, even though then again, I mean, I say like I say, I mean, like Donna was a bit like, what the fuck is this? And that's some fucking like repulsive shit but at the same time when he was all muscly towards the end she she was like she was watching you know like that is an arresting visual um but yeah it's uh like you say no it's like it's one that you can imagine just being on dvd and and that's where it stays it will stay yeah i think i have three copies of this on dvd <laughs> Of course what, you do. What, of in course case, you do. In case you wear one out, <laughs> which scenes are you wearing out, Mark? <laughs> it's 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 because I, I I own a copy upstairs in my loft, and I think the past two times we've been to, or two of the past three times we've been to the cabin, I bought a copy of it for fifty p right. from Sex um, yes. to to take with us because Becky loves this movie. <laughs> I thought it was just but like you just going. That... This is never coming out on Blu-ray, so let's just get three copies of the DVD. But but it's even like it's even even those seedy elements of it. Obviously, when when it say when he does undress Emily Dickens, like I still don't know how they do that effect. It, it, it's 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 kind of impressive. Like the technical aspects of the film are massively impressive. Yeah, I mean the late all the shit with the latex mask. Yeah, it, for, yeah. for like twenty years old, it is it is how the fuck did they yeah. do that? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely there's a lot of small shit like that that's actually you know you've got what two or three sort of big effect shots like the the ape sort of uh, what what would you call it the ape sort of rejuvenation stuff and then the stuff yeah. that, that he does that's the same those are the sort of big ones but yeah you're right it's like it's the the mask on the invisible head stuff there's moments there where you you're still sort of scratching your head now watching that that there's some really nice tricky little bits in it. And part of it does feel like trickery as well. Sometimes when, you know, it's clearly Kevin Bacon with a rubber mask on, but then they're just using sort of sleight of hand to to to, to make to mix in the sort of effect bits as well. Mm, mm-hmm. It works. It works. Okay. It does. Brilliant. The Mulberry Boys every Friday night on the show. You better know they keep it tight. TL is back and the Jstrom's in the zone. Introduce the co-host, he doesn't do it alone. PCZ is about to hold court. You know he's on the headset, you can hear him snort. Pop culture movies, TV shows and games. Rotten Tomatoes reviews news and Blu-rays. Foggy don't play around, he will bust a drop fast. Welcome to the Entertainment Landfill Podcast. The Jason and Steven Show. It's the Jason and Steven Show. What? The Jason and Steven Show. It's the Jason and Steven Show. Have you 
ever wondered what so-called family films will scar your kids forever? Putting four or five-year-olds in front of this movie, it's like, if they didn't know what death was before this, they're going to know it after it. They're going to know it after it, and they're going to be freaking terrified. And they're going to be questioning you. Yeah. Or do you have the slight suspicion that your loved one has a cold, dead heart? Yeah, the Dark Knight has got like all the orphans and like, oh no, we're going to die. They did not build up those orphans at all. In my head, I was like, kill them. Then look no further. The His Film, Her Movie podcast is the show for you. It's the movie podcast that celebrates the contrasting cinematic tastes of its hosts. So join Jordan and Lauren every week on their unique journey through the land of the silver screen. So if you're looking for a few laughs, some fun film-related chat, then get involved. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. So from uh, Mark's pick for Ian... Ian, you picked for me, so uh, do you want to tell me a little bit about why you picked this out and what it is? Yeah, so I um, I chose for now uh, Jim Mickle's 2014 film Cold in July, um, which is... Sorry, I'm just grabbing a bit. Um, it, it's... Frankly, I I think it's a film that is just um, in um, the wheelhouse of pretty much everyone here. It, it, it feels like... I've kind of referenced this before. It kind of feels like a film that if you saw at Fright Fest, it would be shit. That was the film of the weekend. And in this, not necessarily because it's horary, but because it's definitely genre and it's, you know, it's got a quite a genre cast. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think Jim Mickle's an interesting filmmaker. He's one which I have slightly blown hot and cold on. Um, but mainly hot and he um i mean his most recent film was the um also michael c hall starring netflix film in the shadow of the moon which i yeah i i think it's is one of the underappreciated films of last year it's a really interesting piece of work is in the shadow of the moon um but cold in july it, it, it's a film which got a cinematic release i i went to the cinema world here in cardiff to go see it and it's one that you don't you wouldn't imagine would get a cinematic release now um, but I, I, I think it is worth talking about, and uh, yeah, I, I, I hope you feel it is too, Noel. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, really intrigued to see what you think of this. It's a film which, just like it, it from the start to the end, it's like you, you don't imagine where it starts. That's how it's going to end. You know, it, I, I, I think it's constantly shifting. Um, and yeah, I, I I think it's a really interesting piece of work. Uh, no, what do you think? Nice. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a few things that that you've touched upon there that 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 I would definitely agree with. It's, uh, as with most films that come up on this show, I try to uh, I like it when I don't know anything about stuff going in. Um, I didn't know very much about this going in, other than it was directed by Jim Mickle. Um, he is a dect- he is a director I'm sort of partially familiar with and, and like yourself I've sort of blown hot and cold on. Um I know Stakeland is a film that a lot of people seem to really like. Uh I didn't get I didn't get what the fuss was about, as I recall. I feel like we might have reviewed it for heroes, but um May well I could be wrong. Um but yeah, it just didn't seem to catch with me in the same way it did other people. Um, we are what we are I didn't see I'd seen the original Mexican one but not enough to sort of bother with the remake so I hadn't seen that Um, but in the shadow of the moon I watched 
late last year, and I really did like that. Um, mm. I think primarily the sort of look and feel of that film, but also sort of the ambition of it. It felt like a film. It felt like a film from a director who, on one hand, you sort of hope gets to do something bigger at some point, but then at yeah. the same time, you're like, well, actually, no. I'd kind of just be happy to see him keep making films at this level. Um, so yeah, so Cold in July uh, went in knowing very little, um, but sort of expectation-wise, probably thinking that it would be something that was stylistically and maybe thematically along those lines of dark thriller, mystery, sort of mysterious kind of plotting, and maybe a sort of kind of 80s genre aesthetic uh, with sort of music choices and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, it's... I thought it was great. Really liked it. Um, nice. it. It sets up. It sets itself up really strong. Um, it absolutely has that look and feel I was kind of expecting. Very dark, very cold blues. I think that the, the first five ten minutes of it, everything is just very very dark, very very cold blue and green, and then these sort of like occasional shafts of warm light that just sort of cut through it all. That are focused on. Um, on Michael C. Hall. Um, and it seems to use that quite well up front. It's sort of, it's got a lot of cold, dark stuff when there's kind of danger at the door. But then when the danger's gone, everything gets a bit warmer and safer and the light changes and stuff like that. Um, so when the police show up after the first scene and stuff like that. And it sort of shifts between those two things for like the first, well, for much of the first act actually. Um, yeah. and it feels like it's sort of trying to wrong foot you a little bit um, so for that for that sort of first act there's a, there's a sense that it seems to be on the one hand it's sort of trying to give you a sense that this might be a fairly straight up sort of stalk and defend kind of almost like a slasher kind of thing uh, where you've got this very innocent guy who's been thrown into a situation and then there's this malevolent force that's going to try and take his revenge I think it sort of seems to be trying to communicate that. I think maybe just sort of to the untrained eye, though. I think anyone who knows anything about cinematic mustaches would probably be able to tell you that the police detective straight away is is probably up to no good. Um, you take one look at that guy and you're like, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that guy's telling you the truth. Um, and I think that sort of sets the tone of the film. It's not necessarily trying to trick you. It's just trying to shift things along and move things from here to there and then from there to here and then from there to here. Um, and it, it, it does so in terms of where the story's being focused, but it does so with the sort of motivations of all the characters as well and the focus of the story after overall. Maybe every every 20 minutes, I'd say, you feel like you're in a completely different place. So it sort of starts out, like I say, as that sort of revenge thriller and then it shifts into sort of a noir, more of a mystery kind of thing. Then there's the sort of hillbilly family dark comedy stuff that sort of creeps into it. And then it veers into a little bit of horror. And then maybe it shifts back to sort of dark thriller again. And then by the end of it, it's this sort of bloody action shootout siege kind of thing. Um, so it shifts its focus quite a lot. It moves around quite a lot. Um but I think it works really well. And I think a big part of that is that the glue is Michael C. Hall. Um, mm-hmm. He plays this p- 
perfectly balanced sort of everyman character and you get on board with him straight away because he's just sort of immediately, literally within the first five minutes, he's just this guy who's been plunged into this horrible mess. He's been forced to react to something that's happened and, you know, we all have families, we all have wives, and some of us have kids and, you know, we understand what it would be to be plunged into that situation and then on the back of that situation he's kind of forced into making a decision about doing the decent thing and doing the right thing um and it sort of takes him on this journey but i think what works so well is it never feels forced you don't that for every move he makes right from that sort of opening gunshot that sort of starts the story starts the story off right through to him rescuing sam shepherd's character uh, lying to his wife uh, to, to head off and go to the ranch then going back for the, the, the siege in the last act it all feels authentic like you know that he he feels compelled to do it whether it's to save the life of this innocent guy or find out who it was that who he really killed or or then just ultimately just stand by this group of people that he's fallen in with um, and I think the importance of Michael C. Hall's performance in that probably shouldn't be underestimated because if you didn't like him so much you may very well be a little bit like well fucking hell why are we over here now i thought i thought i was watching this kind of film um so it works really well um i mentioned uh sam shepherd sam shepherd's great in it um but probably bigger uh, a presence and and a sort of welcome presence is is don johnson um mm. i love it when I love it when a character just arrives in a film and shifts the whole tone. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just, yeah. I love it when that happens. And it, this is, there's a real moment for that. I mean, it comes with music and everything. And he just bowls <clears> into <throat> this, this, this very dark and very gritty and very sort of blue uh, and sort of kind of oppressive and untrustworthy dark scenario in a big red stupid car with bullhorns on the bullhorns on the front and he just arrives and brings this sort of lightness to everything you said there's a sort of relief in that scene where he arrives at the, at the frame store you sort of go oh great fucking oh great now right let's go in a, let's go in a different direction now um, and, and what, what what and what i like about that as well is it's the last scene that the the cops in and it's almost yeah. like the cop comes in and he's just like do you know what yeah, you were right. He, he died. Yeah. He dyed his hair, and he had contacts in. And yeah, for, and you know, Michael C. Hall already knows he's talking bullshit. And then this other guy comes in, and it's just like I don't like. It's almost like the film doesn't need you anymore, dodgy detective. Yes. Fuck off. Yes. You, like yeah. I, yeah. what we need is John Don Johnson. Yeah, we're going in a we're going on a different journey now, and fuck this guy. Yeah. Um. I have to mention, though, he uh, on the Don Johnson thing, the peak of the film for me is when he delivers that one line, which for me is just pure late 70s, early 1980s Burt Reynolds, which is when <laughs> the, the Pinto backs into his Cadillac and he comes out screaming at the driver... Yeah, he turns out to be this. He turns out to be this man mountain. So he's already screaming at the driver, going, "What the <laughs> fuck is it like? Who the hell is gonna pay for this?" And as he says that, this guy gets out of the car and he's massive, and he goes, "Who's gonna pay for this?" Oh well, we could split it. 
and it's just <laughs> yeah. such a Burt Reynolds moment. It's per- it's like they, you know, the production meeting for that scene. They must have been like, eh, play it a little bit like maybe Burt Reynolds would have in the early eighties. Um, even the way that character then grabs hold of his hat and rams his hat down, and then sort of knees him in the face. It just feels like a scene from Smokey and the Bandit or the Cannonball Run. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's brilliant. It, it's a it's a film of it's a film of various colours. I would say in terms of the shifting tone and shifting focus, but thoroughly believable characters and likable characters um, keep you on board all the way through. And like you say, the film that it starts out at is very different to the film that it turns out to be but I like all of those films along that way um, and actually it's made me it's made me think alright maybe I'll go back and check out some of the Jim Mickle stuff that I've missed but it's but more so it makes me think this is a director that I definitely want to see what he does next because um, you know whether like I say on the one hand he's sort of like he's talented enough that you'd hope that he would get something a bit bigger, but at the same time, I like these films. Like I like this, and I like um, I like In the Shadow of the Moon as well. So I'm, I'm more than happy for one of these every couple of years. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I loved it. It was brilliant. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I watched this at. I mean, it would have been the 2014 Edinburgh Film Festival, and. All I remember about the screening is that it played so well with the audience. Look, yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you were at that job. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of those films where I mean, the only, was it late? It, it will, I think it would have been probably. I mean, to be honest, I think the, the final the screenings for Edinburgh was maybe about nine o'clock. All right. Um, but yeah, it's one of those films that you you can really describe as if you can you can start watching it lying down on your sofa. But you know you're going to be sitting up like it, like arched towards this the screen by the end of it because mm. it goes in, as Ian said, like where it starts and where it ends. It's so the the complete opposite of what you're thinking. Mm. This film is going to like the journey the film is going to go on. That it's constantly surprising and like just just the very sort of the the the, the black comedy that runs through it as well. It's it's brilliant. And it doesn't do it flippantly as well. Like there's moments in there, like when, um, when Michael C. Hall and Don Johnson have watched the tape, and we know that Sam Shepard hasn't because he's been in the other room trying to make the phone call, and they're like, we can, and like Don Johnson's like, we need to just not tell him about this, and then Michael C. Hall's like, well, he needs to see this, and then he walks in the room and he's like, what's on the tape? And you're just like, fuck, where's this going to go? Like, is he going to watch the tape? Are they going to lie to him? Like, and there's, I don't know, they sort of deal with it sort of comically because you cut to Don Johnson and Michael C. Hall sat outside and him inside the house screaming. So there's sort of a, a, a comedic way that they deal with it. But at the same time, you realise in that moment that actually his entire world just collapsed around him, This this mission that he's been on has just collapsed because he's found out that actually his son is the worst kind of arsehole. So again, you're on a different, you're now on a different track. The film's going in a different direction and you've got to get on board. You've got to go along with it. Um, But it's those moments all along that, you know, it's got some real fucking moments like throughout this film, real memorable moments. 
Absolutely. Sweet. Oh, I'm so um, glad you liked it. <laughs> oh, I really got on board with it. Definitely, definitely. That's great. Uh, brilliant. So we will move on from there to the last pick of the evening, uh, which is my pick for Jordan. Um, so for Jordan, I picked 1981's The Howling. Reasons. Um, so Jordan's a man who loves his cinema. And I think it's fair to say in the sort of latter years of Eat, Sleep, Live film and Verite, and even now on his film, her movie, he's probably kind of forged a bit of a reputation for being the art house connoisseur of the group. Well, I, or, I, I, to be fair, I, I just want to say that I know he wants to be called Danny Ocean, but considering the fact that he owns property, I'm calling him the Baron. The Baron. <laughs> <laughs> that could stick, yeah. Um... But I think it's it's easy to forget that actually Jordan is a man who loves a fucking dirty horror movie as well. <laughs> yeah. And I think we often forget that. And at the same time, although I know he loves a dirty fucking horror movie, even if he doesn't like to admit it very often, he does also have <laughs> a, a, a discerning palette. So I picked this because it was one of those where it was like, if Jordan's not seen this, this is perfect because I love the first three Howling films. I think each of those three films is, is very weirdly different and they're all wacky and completely fun. But they also manage to build this weird mythos across those three films and, and take each film in a completely different direction. But this first one is a Joe Dante film and I'm also a huge Joe Dante fan. And Joe Dante, even back in 1981, is one of those directors that... He makes genre movies, but he adds something else. So there's always an extra bit of class in there. Um, so my hope was, or is, that Jordan would appreciate that this is a very fucking trashy film, but it's also got an element of class and it is trying to say something. It's probably the classier of the, the, the first three Howling films, but who knows, maybe if he likes it enough, he might check out the other two. Uh, so with that, <laughs> Jordan, what did you think of 1981's The Howling? Um, well, I think it's. I mean, I would like to actually see how the mythology goes across the first the first three, um, to see how how they take the story in a different way. But like at the beginning of the film, when it, when it starts and when you're when you've got this um, sort of bunny in headlights moment with with D. Walsh's character as she goes out and trying to sort of get this serial killer out in the open so they can arrest him. I mean, that felt for me, I mean, just the way it's shot, it's very sort of focused, very sort of like, the the, the lighting's kind of, it, it feels like dirty New York in the 70s, but I think it's in LA. And the way it's, 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 the way it's shot, it feels like what De Palma was doing in Obsession and, and Carrie and, um, trying to think of, like Sisters and stuff like that. And, like that was me. I, I looked at that. And I was like, Do you know what? I'm, I'm really, really on board with this. It's, it's, this is my style of, um, sort of not, not, not an exploitation movie, but like, yeah, it's, it's a dirty horror film. I think when um, I, I wrote about it for Adventures of VHS, and I said it felt it had a bit of De Palma and a bit of, like there's a lot of Giallo sort of sense in that first scene. As yeah, well. I think there's some references. I could be wrong. I think there's some references to cat people in that scene. I'm not sure. I could be wrong, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But yeah, and like, and then it's sort of you go off, and it's I mean, quite violent. And then for me, it's 
there's, there is a portion there where I kind of got a little bit bored, but um, when it does get to the, your, your final sort of sequence of when, no, I mean, it's 1981, when the werewolves finally come out, then it, it, it just amps everything back up, and it is, as well as a, a very, very good um, horror um, film, but it's, it's a technical exercise as well, because... Like this came out, I'm guessing, just before American Werewolf. Yeah, in so I think um, it was supposed to be. Um, oh, what's his name? Um, yeah, it was supposed to be that Rick Baker, I think, was supposed to be doing the effects for this, but he chose to do American Werewolf in London instead, and Rob Bottin did the effects work for this instead. And I think American Werewolf then went on to win the Oscar for effects. So this Howling's always been seen as sort of like the, the lesser of those two films. Cause they came out a year apart and, and American werewolf in London got all the sort of, um, effects plaudits. But, um, yeah. Mm. But I mean, the, some of the effects work, I mean, the scene where you see the main transformation and, um, the, the balloons underneath must be latex or something like that. It is so grimy and disturbing and, like that in itself as a sequence is a piece of art, mm. um, and yeah, I, I mean, I kind of like the vibe of it. It's, it it builds up like you know, it's, it it goes slower, but like the the whole idea of like sexual violence as as well in this, um, as you do like having Hollow Man is an undercurrent, but it, it it's kind of got it in tongue tongue in cheek as well because you've got this incredible scene where you've got. Um, is it Dennis Dugan mm-hmm. and um, D. D. Walls' character's husband and one of the other girls the thing where they just have sex but turn into werewolves whilst they're doing it? And mm. it's the way, the way it's shot and the way um, the, the work with the the makeup, it, that's what you want from an 80s horror film for me. And again, it's, it's Joe Dante. For me, Joe Dante is is Gremlins and is your more kiddie kind of horror film director. Where it was nice to see him, probably earlier on in his career, take on something a bit more adult, and I did did enjoy it. But I said there was a part in that middle chunk which I was a little bit bored, but Mm. the end more than anything pays up for it because, damn, it's a good old, just violent... um, finale and I, I did enjoy that i think it i think you're right there is a it lulls a little bit in the in the second act i think um and the suspense sort of slacks off a little bit and it is part of that is probably the strength of that first sequence and sort of um and then how it sort of ramps up towards but the but, end but sorry go on but it's but also it's 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 worth saying that it's um it, it's pino Dinaggio's score as well, who worked with the Palmer on oh, um, Dressed to Kill and um, oh, what else did he work on Palmer with um, Body Double? So it does have a bit a bit of class for for a yeah. score as well. So I think the thing that I like about this and and where it goes with the with the sequels as well is, and this is a, a sort of you know uh, a wider context thing, but. Um, 
it does a lot of stuff with the idea about what werewolves are and where they came from and the idea of a sort of pack mentality and um and how they behave sexually and how they behave as a pack and as a family um and that's not really something that was done at that point like if you think about sort of historically the wolfman and werewolves it's always been a sort of singular thing it's always been one guy gets bit by a wolf and 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 that's that whereas what the howling does and and certainly the sequels do um in particular the second one is introduce the idea of like you know how sorry um wolves have this pack they have this sort of way of behaving and they have you know um uh, hierarchies and stuff like that within this pack and stuff so it, this starts to introduce some of those ideas there's also the fact that it's fucking shameless some of the jokes like the visual gags and stuff that that are in there yeah um like just uh, copies of alan ginsberg's howl being read and just wolf chili and stuff like that there's, there's loads of sort of stuff to look at that's just like shameless silly sort of gags um and that has to be a very sort of joe dante thing um so yeah so anything else that you sort of liked or disliked there I mean, to, to be honest, no. I mean, I mean, the, the final sequence, obviously, when you af, after the transformation, mm. is it, it's so so good. It, it's what you really want. If you, it's what you go for, basically. Yeah. If you go and see the howling, you want the full on werewolves attacking people. You want blood. You want violence. And it does deliver on that. Um, although I do love it, it. It's also sort of like the stupidity of it all because. <laughs> One of the characters comes with a rifle with silver bullets, shoots one of them, and then the other people just start walking towards him and he just takes them all out. It's like, just learn a little bit and then maybe run away from the silver bullets. Yeah, I like I like the fact that it's that silly and it, it's not afraid to do that, but then at the same time, he's sort of trying to say things about like that closing sequence about you know the whole world looking on as this thing's happening. Um there's a lot of extra stuff in there that probably maybe doesn't need to be there. And if, if it's a different director and it's not somebody like Joe Dante, then maybe that stuff isn't there. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Absolutely. But no, I, I did. I, I enjoyed it. It says part, part of it, which maybe just could get tightened up, but overall, um, it, it does what it says on the team. Well, I'm definitely going to say give howling 2 ago if you get the opportunity because it's probably super cheap and um it's i think the full title is um I'll have to look this up. it's not how it's uh, not the marsupials one is it that's the no 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 one. it's how no howling 2 sturba oh yeah howling 2 sturba werewolf bitch um nice that's the yeah, there's, it's got it's got different titles across the world, and one of them is Howling Two. Your sister is a werewolf. <laughs> uh, in the UK, it was just called Howling Two, but I think it was I think it was in the US. It was called Howling Two. Your sister is a werewolf. Um, that's excellent. That brings in this sort of um, whole idea of packs 
and also it's got a fucking awesome song like it's got oh what's the name of the band now it's like a proper sort of 80s um take that no 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 no, no. It's, got, it's, got, it's, got, it's got christopher lee in it oh yeah 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 uh no howling 2 is fascinating there's there's it's such a weird like it's got this sort of like pack of wolves that are living in this like german town or something and they've taken over like they're basically in charge and they live in a castle and they're all just lay around having sex with each other and then there's this sort of like concert 80s music video at the beginning and at the end with this fantastic uh real sort of 80s almost like sisters of mercy style um song um it's brilliant and then it and then howling 3 just goes in a completely different direction com- and adds more to the sort of um werewolf mythos that it's it's built up but just takes it in a much kind of a sillier kind of way but yeah much more sort of it sort of plays into the media stuff that howling one did but does it in a bit of a sillier way um and it's excellent the, the, those three films are just great fucking fun um so yeah if you do get a chance maybe check out the other two because they're just uh, they're a blast Cool. So, cool. Uh, pay it forward or send it back? Uh, pay it forward. Excellent. That's good. That's good. Right. So, um, anything else to to add from anyone then before we move on to close? No, don't think so. Nice. No. 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 All right. No. All right well, we shall leave that there then. That is our show. If very you... quickly, actually. Yes. One thing. Uh, we forgot to do it on the last show, but we have done it on every other show. So, just quickly, guys, what does the movie that was picked for you sit between in your iTunes library at the moment? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Question. Let's have a look. So, I'm just getting to mine. Now, mine actually sits... All right, yeah, I can do mine. Mine sits between the A-Team um, and Angel Heart. The A-Team and Angel Heart. Yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm right with that. Mine sits between Hitchcock, Truffaut, and Home Alone. <laughs> very nice. Mine sits between Captain America Civil War and Commando, the director's cut. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mine sits between um, Bong Joon-ho's The Host and um, Misaki Kubik. Kobayashi's The Human Condition Part 1. Fuck's no sake. Love. Of course Jesus. it does. <laughs> wow. All right, one more thing before we go as well, actually, because we've, got, um, oh, we've got votes. We do, yeah. Oh, um, nice. There's still a bit of time. There's still a bit of time left on them, but um, fuck it, we'll do it. Um, so, playing it forward, film one, Hollow Man. Uh, 88.9% of voters said play it forward. 11.1% said send that shit back. So, that's a big vote for Hollow Man. Nice. Uh, play it forward, film two, The Howling. Um, obviously, we did these in a different order. Um, 87.5% said play it forward. Only 12.5% said send that shit back. So that's another vote for playing it forward. Uh, Cold in July, 80% play it forward, 20% send that shit back. So again, another strong vote for that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and where's the... F- ah, the American Friend. Uh, let's have a look. There was only one vote on... The- oh, no, two votes, but 100% play it forward. And send it back. Excellent. That's good. That's good. And... So yeah, that is our show. If you like this, then go and check out our other shows on Pod Syndicate. Um, 80s pop culture documentary stuff in Beyond the Neon. Film and television chat in Chin Stroker vs. Punter and Entertainment Landfill. Movie debate and discussion in Film Bastards and His Film, Her Movie. As well as the best beers from around the world in What's on Tap. All these shows and more over at wearepodsyndicate.com or by following at Pod Syndicate on Twitter. There's also plenty of articles and stuff like that uh, to enjoy um, when we can get around to them. I think we'll probably have more time on our hands in the coming weeks and months, so there's probably <laughs> going to be more stuff. Um, we'll be back so- back again soon with another Pay It Forward, uh, so subscribe to this feed if you haven't already, and uh, for much more other stuff, including music chat with Mark and myself on our Tales from the Take Back show, which I get the sense we're going to be doing Ooh. plenty more of in the not-too-distant future. Oh, yes. And um, um, J- Jordan and I are going to be doing um, a perfectly symmetrical podcast, the films of oh, Wes yeah. Anderson, which is uh, a, a going to be... We're planning on... We're planning on weekly commentaries leading up to the French Dispatch, George, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yep, so that will be starting, I want to say, in May? I think, yeah, he's got, what, nine movies? Yeah. I'm guessing probably around about that, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so, and that will be on the, uh, the, the, the bonus feed as well. Is that release order that you're doing them, then? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent, good stuff. So more great content. Best thing to do: follow up on follow up Pod Syndicate on Twitter, and then we'll just share um, stuff as it goes live. Um, so that's probably the best thing to do there. Um, so until next time, as far as play it forward is concerned, that's good night from me and good night from everybody else. Say good night, everybody. Good night. Goodbye. Peace. And that's us out. Take care, folks. Wash your fucking hands. Angie Cox.